Well, last Sunday we embarked on an eight-week tour of the mountaintops of God from a stirring that I sensed to be from the Lord inside, uh, saying, visit the mountaintops. So as I began to prayerfully narrow that down to the mountaintops in the Old and New Testaments, I really feel like there are eight mountaintops that we're meant to visit, and the cool part about it is on the top of each one of these mountains is a treasure. It's something for us to get. Something that will bless our lives in terms of, um, you know, equipping us and encouraging us in our walk with the Lord Jesus. And so last week we visited the top of Mount Moriah, that epic tale of radical obedience where Abraham is called to take his only son Isaac and uh, consider him as a sacrifice to the Lord. And there's so much that's in that passage in Genesis chapter 22, but the treasure that we walked away with is this simple truth that there is always blessing on the other side of obedience. There's always, always, always the blessing of God on the other side of obedience. That whenever we're being called to do something by God, we're being called to obey Him, and the idea is that as being called to obey Him, then we're being called to be closer to Him. That every act of obedience we respond to to God draws us closer to Him our hearts and his, and so we end up walking our lives out close to God. And that's the place of obedience. So today I'd like for us to, uh, to begin to climb up uh, what's maybe a more familiar mountain to many of you, and that's Mount Sinai. Uh, you'll find the description of this principally in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. I don't really have a passage today, uh, you know, that I love to be uh, connected to a specific passage uh, we don't really have the luxury of that with Mount Sinai because it just the tale kind of just goes on and on and on about what it is that happened on Mount Sinai as God called him up there. But primarily you'll find uh, our, our points of interest today in Exodus chapters 19 and, and, and 20. Um, Mount Sinai is of the Ten Commandments fame. It was the mountain that God called Moses up onto to give him the Ten Commandments. That was a pretty big day. That was a pretty central part of the whole experience of the Israelites and essentially our experience as well is the, the, really that the codification of Jewish law came by revelation of God, not through the, the cunning or the intelligence or even the wisdom of man. You know, we've seen laws being, being codified, codified through the centuries and we remember growing up in, in social studies classes and learning some of how that came about. But it was typically through the counsel of men that these laws came and, and society developed. Well, the great difference in this is that, that this law came by the revelation of God. And so this is, uh, really lives at the center of the story, which kind of goes like this, that the, the Israelites were, were caught in Egyptian slavery. And God raised up this one Moses, who in a, you know, a series of miraculous interventions, prepared him to be the one to lead them out of Egypt. And as they went, they crossed the Red Sea, and you've seen the movie. And uh, they crossed the Red Sea, and they, they continued to follow God. And part of that process in the book of Exodus, part of that whole concept of following God was this, this stop at Mount Sinai. It's right in the middle of the book. It exists right in the middle of the book of Exodus, the stop at Mount Sinai where God revealed the, the, uh, the law, the Ten Commandments to Moses. One of the struggles that Christians have today is um, 
the whole relationship between the law of the Old Testament and the significance for it today. Because here we live as those who have been saved by the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ paid the penalty, that he perfectly fulfilled all the law of the Old Testament. So one of the lingering questions, and it's a good question, is, so what's the significance of the Old Testament law for today? And uh, in talking about that for a few minutes this morning, I want you to focus your attention on the Ten Commandments. Not the 613 Levitical laws that flowed out of that, but the essential letter and spirit of the Ten Commandments coming from Mount Sinai. What does that really have to do with us today? And so what I've done is I've taken everything that I understand to be true from the Old Testament, that which I understand to be true from the New Testament concerning the law, and I've summarized it into four amazingly brilliant points for you. Are you ready? All right. What's the significance of the Old Testament law for us today? First of all, the law of the Old Testament revealed to Israel the character of righteousness of their holy God. This is key. This is key for us today, that the law of the Old Testament revealed to the Israelites the character of righteousness of God. You know, other pantheons of God that existed before then, then and after then, if you think about the Roman pantheon, if you think about Greek mythology, you think about the, the nature, the character of these gods. And in many cases, they were, they were promiscuous, they were lascivious. They, 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 what they were, what they seemed to be in retrospect, is man trying to, trying to substantiate his own ethical chaos by saying, well, that's how the gods are. And so it's a backward kind of revelation, if you will. It's saying, well, we're this way, and we can't seem to manage ourselves, so that's how the gods are. So let's make a god of lust, and let's make a god of drunkenness, and let's make a god of this and a god of that, and let's say that that's what the gods are. It must be, because here we are, and this is the way we are. Well, flip that over, because on Mount Sinai... Two things became true. Two things became, not true, but became obvious. There is one God, and He's holy. And so, in the revelation of the Ten Commandments, it's a look at the character of God. It's a snapshot, if you will, of the character of God. And He's saying to the Israelites, here I am. They actually reveal the character of God. So does that continue to have significance for us today? Of course it does. We'll get to the wait to that in just a second. Second, the law of the Old Testament revealed to us that we are truly not capable of living in the standard of righteousness by our own strength. Have you noticed this, anybody? Anybody had their first perfect day yet? These Ten Commandments make it clear that we're incapable somehow, incapable of living according to that standard of righteousness. It's not that we don't want to, yeah? It's that Try as we might, we have yet to have our first perfect day. And so the law reveals to us that somehow something is broken. Not that we don't want to, but that we can't. Something is broken. Essentially broken. And this creates a problem then. The significance for us today is this creates a problem uh, about which something must be done. Something radical must be done. Third, full obedience to the law of the Old Testament revealed what God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to fully satisfy for us. 
that Jesus did something for us that we clearly could never manage to do for ourselves. If we can't do it, even though we would like to, and that creates a problem, then the significance of the law for us today is that Jesus met on the cross historically and continues to meet by his ascension and place at the right hand of the Father, continues to meet the full demand of the law that we cannot meet for ourselves. But the law is still there. The law is still there speaking against me. But Jesus is there satisfying the righteous and holy demands of the law. So it still does have significance for me in that respect. Um, he came to fully satisfy that in us that I could not do for myself. And, and, and apparently, even though I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I am not perfect yet. And so I continue to depend on Jesus in that regard. So since Jesus did this for me, you might be saying, Jesus fully satisfies this, then, uh, then I don't have to care about the Ten Commandments anymore, right? I mean, it kind of goes that way. If Jesus fully satisfied all the law, then I don't really need to care about it because he has it covered. Here's what's wrong with that. Here's what's, not, here's what's wrong with not caring about adultery. Here's what's wrong with not caring about false testimony. Here's what's wrong with not caring about stealing, cheating. Here's what's wrong with not caring about the essential uh, uh, letter and spirit of the law. It's because being a Christian is not about religion, but it's about relationship. It's about relationship with God. It's about relationship with God. It's not about religion. And relationship, listen, is about caring about what matters most to the other. Did you hear that? Relationship is about caring what matters most to the other. So in any relationship, if it's a healthy relationship, both parties are caring about what matters most to the other. And we have things that matter most to us, and then we have things that you know, we're interested in but don't really matter. So if you just take a husband and wife, for example... They have to care about what matters most to each other, and then they sort of have to give, you know, uh, some deference to what doesn't matter most to them, but it's of interest to them. Is that making any sense? You sure? There are things that matter most to me. And those things flow not from my sense of interest, but from my character. There are things that matter most to Karen. And not from her sense of interest. She's interested in a lot of things. But there are some central things that flow from her sense of character. Now, we've managed to do this marriage thing for 40 years because we care about the things that matter most to one another. You know, she'll get on the back of the motorcycle with me if I ask her. She really will. But she'll never come and say, hey, why don't we take a four-hour motorcycle ride today? <laughs> but good thing is, it's really not in my character. It's not a matter of my character whether she wants to ride on the bike or not. If I don't ever have a bike again, I'm fine, because I'll just ride Greg's. 
It's fine. That's not a part of my character. So if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter to her. But if either of us didn't care about Jesus, we'd have a big problem. Because a love for Jesus flows out of Karen's character. And if I didn't care about that, it matters most to her, we'd have a problem. And vice versa. So if being a Christian is about having living in dynamic, restored relationship with God, then part of that is caring about what matters most to God. And what matters most to God is His character as revealed to us, a snapshot of which is revealed to us in the Ten Commandments. So if I don't care about that, then I don't care about what matters most to God. What are the chances of relationship there? What will happen is it'll just become religion. You'll just be doing what you need to do, signing the yes, I I asked Jesus into my life card because you're afraid of this God. And you're afraid of the judgment of this God. You will never have a relationship with that God. Does that make sense? So this brings us to the fourth brilliant summary point. And that is that the law of the Old Testament continues to serve as an inner standard to which we aspire in the goal of our everyday living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Since we care about what matters most to God, our loving God, we want to love Him. I want to, I want to live in loving relationship with Him. I want to care about what He cares about. We just sang it. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I want to care about that. Then it is our daily desire that the fullness of the Ten Commandments would be perfectly lived out in us. It is our daily desire. Every morning that today will be my first perfect day. (laughs) That we would be a people who live in purity and truthfully and faithfully with single-minded devotion to the name of God is what we get up to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have freely admitted that like you, some days end up turning out much better than others in regard to this, but my failures in these regards do not take away from my desire to continue to care about it and making it the goal of my everyday. So my failures do not cause me to go, what's the use? My failures cause me to go, oh God, God, I need more strength. I need more power. Psalm 40, verse 8, David said, I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Was he perfect? Hello. Been reading the Bible thing? But he said the desires are there. So my summary of the law of the Old Testament is that though we are still compelled in our hearts to obey it, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be judged by it. Because Jesus takes the penalty. Jesus pays the price. This is really the very essence of the gospel. Not that the law doesn't matter anymore, but in whose name are you going to approach the throne of judgment? Your name or the name of Jesus? It's very simple, isn't it? Hello, I am here. My name is Tom Paquette. That little spot that used to be. 
Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So being a Christian is coming to Jesus and saying, come, indwell me. When, I, when that day comes, I'm going to be standing, I'm going to be hiding behind you, the perfect one. It's easy to get up, get hung up on the law as an entity in itself rather than what's behind the law. And it's actually in what's behind the law that we discover the treasure of Mount Sinai. What's behind the law? What's behind the law is God who is bringing order out of chaos. If you look at, show my little mountain there. If you look at how... uh, Exodus begins and ends. There's an interesting mountain right in the middle, Mount Sinai. And if you, if, you, if you go to Exodus chapter 1, you'll see that it's bleak and it's chaotic. That they're in Egyptian slavery. That they're being asked to work without materials. The demands are completely unrealistic. And then the Egyptians are becoming so threatened by the multiplication of the Jews that they uh, assign midwives to kill all the male children as they're being delivered. That's a pretty chaotic world, is it not? That's chaos. That's cultural, organizational, ethical chaos. Now, you flip through and you have to notice 19 and 20 in the middle, which is Mount Sinai, the top, and then when you get to the end of Exodus, it starts in chaos. Look how it ends. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So they're out of that, and they're somewhere else. They have a tabernacle, which is like the portable temple. It's kind of the tent camper of temples. Okay? Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But check this out. Look at the order. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So there's order. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. So they start in this chaos, and they end in this, you know, when the Lord goes, we'll go. When the Lord stops, we'll stop. It's this simple. And the complexity and chaos has been, has been blessed by God so that you have this sense of order. Powerful, wonderful, simple order. So what's the treasure of Mount Sinai? Simply this, God brings order out of chaos. God brings order out of chaos. The Bible opens with the world in a state of chaos. Irrespective of your view of how old the earth is, you as Christians wind up in the same place. Somehow God speaks, and there is order. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, humanity had quickly devolved into chaos. God ordered the floodwaters, and out of the chaos, he brought order. The people of Israel were living in Egypt in a state of oppressive chaos. God raised up Moses. Out of the chaos, he brought order. People of Israel were living under the oppressive chaos of the Philistines. God raised up David. He says, go get him. People of Israel were living under the chaos of post-Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem was in ruins. 
raised up Ezra, he raised up Nehemiah, and he brought order out of chaos. All of humanity was living under the sadistic chaos of Satan. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come for us, to bring order out of our chaos. The infant church was living in a kind of chaotic uncertainty about what to do next. So he sends the Holy Spirit. A little chaos in the beginning. (laughs) And then beautiful order as the church becomes the expressed nature of Jesus in the world. So the treasure of Mount Sinai and even the whole witness of Scripture is that God delights to bring order out of chaos on a universal level, and I think on a very personal level in our lives, that God delights to bring order out of chaos. At the center of the nature of Jesus Christ is peace. He was never in chaos, even when the world was changing around him, when he was being threatened, arrested, beaten, crucified, he was always at peace. And he said on more than one occasion, I give you my peace. I don't give you peace as the world gives you peace, but I give you my peace. I want to give that to you. This is the nature of Jesus. is to rescue our, us from our chaos and give us peace. What kind of chaos? Any kind of chaos. Mental chaos? Are you confused? Are you tortured in your minds? Bring it to God. Say, please, please order my chaos. Relational chaos? Your marriage flying apart? Husbands, grab... Grab your wife's hand and bring her to the Lord and say, Lord, we're in chaos. Bring some order. God, help us. Maybe you're in financial chaos. Maybe you're in medical chaos. Bring it to the Lord. Continue, continue. I have. Do it again. I have. Do it again. I have. Do it again. You're not dead yet. (laughs) Keep coming. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The fruit, the result of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the thing that he wants to bring, fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace. So is there chaos in your life that you'd like to bring to the Lord? Is there turmoil? You could just offer over to the Lord in prayer. Let's do it. This is your turn to just say to the Lord, What's on your heart to say? How deep can the chaos be? How chaotic can it be? And the Lord can still handle it. Well, he brought the earth, he brought the creation out of a formless mass. I think he can handle our, our problems. Just bring it to the Lord. Bring it over to him. This is your time.
I'm getting this uh, clear picture of some who have bottled chaos. I suppose it's a kind of repression. You just keep shoving it down, shoving it down, and say, I have no chaos. That's going to reach an explosive level. Bring it to the Lord. Lord, we bring our our turmoil to you, we bring our chaos to you, and we lay it at your feet. And to whatever extent it is, is the result of our own choices, behaviors, Lord, we, we still lay it at your feet, we take responsibility for it, and we confess it and repent of it. To whatever extent our chaos, Lord, continues by the, as a result of the sinful choices of others, Lord, we have to lay that at your feet too, Lord. Whether they will or not is not ours to decide, but we lay it at your feet, Lord. We hurt in those areas. It's confusing in those areas, and so we lay that before you. We just come to you now this morning and uh, lay the chaos of fear before you, personal fear or even fear some of us are struggling with for the country or the world. We lay that before you, Lord, and ask you to bring order out of our chaos. Lord, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you for your infinite, unconditional love for them. I pray that you would break through every barrier in each of us that would keep us from being fully embraced by your loving arms. Come, Lord, we pray. Come and move among us, Lord, as we give you time to work in our hearts, our minds, even in our bodies today.